You're listening to Bizarre Buffet, a podcast of all-you-can-eat weird. I'm your host, Mark Toriello. I'm Jen Wilson. And I'm Mark Blusine. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. When we first went in, one of the people said, Who are you? And Tex said, I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's business. Brother Bill and the paramedics were called to attend to a stabbing victim. But they failed to achieve their modest goal. Her son died in the elevator. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Celine Dion. <laughs> oh, wow, it's beautiful. <laughs> I can feel the iceberg. Oh, wow. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Oh, Wait, Celine. When I was in grammar school, you know they taught us how to do it on the recorder, and we had, like, a recorder recital. Listen. And we had to play it. <laughs> I So I was watching, like, sidebar, I was watching the movie um, this past week. It was on, like, Showtime. Titanic. <laughs> yeah. I love that and, like, movie. I, the, like, I hate the modern day, like, I, I fuck, fuck, like, when, like, Rose, the old ladies on the boat, like, I was just, I just want to see, like, Leo and Kate just, like and their love story like that's yeah. it but if you think about it historically like she would not have been like that young as like an elderly woman on that boat like she probably would have like had dementia yeah <laughs> yeah and been like like i don't think like i don't know do you think she lied her way into that james cameron excavation probably but if you think about it like if you think about the actual like historic like you know the time like the Mm. timeline Mm. it just doesn't match up like i don't think that she would be that young as an adult going Mm. and answering questions on some random boat as they start to like pull shit up from the titanic that's i mean well have have you heard the there's a theory that jack was a time traveler and that he was sent from the terminator universe to this is from the same people who are behind the QAnon theories let's continue uh, (laughs) but basically um i think one of the points is that jack mentions a specific roller coaster or something. Coney Island. In Coney, talk Island. About Coney Island. And it didn't exist until after the Titanic sank. Mm. So there's speculation mm. that in yeah. the film there's time travel. Listen, and also, I stand behind it. I oh, hate, God. I hate Bill Paxton. Fucking, well, but you know like, what? Dead but now. like, I, well, my thing. mom and I like hate him with a burning passion. Like, we kind of felt bad when he died just because of our like, <laughs> our like, forever dying hatred for bill paxton what did he do to you guys I just bill. Hate billy. It's, oh billy it's, it's his voice oh. it's his facial expressions it's just like he's he's kind of like the dean kane of like real <laughs> actors or like the guy joe rogan fuck joe rogan unpopular opinion joe we really love you i don't know who he is joe really you're on fear factor 
you were on Fear Factor. You wore was Tony Soprano jackets. Was he the Actually, host? Actually, if I'm not mistaken, if you look up Bizarre Buffet on Apple Podcasts, I think we're like next to Joe Rogan. Beat it, I, Joe. Listen, Joe. I mean, I remember that. I think we were at a time. I don't know where we are on the charts, but you know what? Hi, everybody. Speaking of Apple. Welcome yes, to Bizarre what? Buffet, everyone. This is Bizarre Buffet. Where you don't have to worry about being censored. And I'm you your don't. host, Mark Toriello. And I am Gloria Estefan. And I'm Celine Dion. <laughs> Divas live. Just kidding. <laughs> See, here we are. Um, well, I mean, just like a quick mention, speaking of Apple, please rate and review our podcast on Apple. But let's continue. But we were talking about movies. Yes, we were. So, okay, you guys, snuggle in. I got a story. Okay. What is your favorite horror movie? Both of you. you My can- favorite horror movie yeah like the scariest one you've ever seen or like Ooh. you think you've ever seen oh, okay all right this one's a little tricky for me mm-hmm. um i'm probably gonna have to go with i don't know why like it's just still for some reason just doesn't sit well with me like till this day even though it's like kind of cheesy at this point but like the exorcist no <laughs> i think that's a good one really? it is can i tell you like Peace when soup. she's like when she is literally like taking the cross and like going to town, like in between her legs, and then like tries it's to very like, effective, have, yes, then like has the priest, like she's like going, like, Lick me, and I'm, like, what? Ooh, I know, like in the middle of a hospital, I <laughs> and then like that whole scene when she walks down the stairs, like. Oh, the crab walk. In the crab walk. Oh, God. And when she comes downstairs at night and, like, just pees herself. Well, oh, yeah. She I do that. Pisses herself. But well, no, that shit, mm-hmm. like, till this day, still just doesn't, that movie never sits well with me. And it, and also the theme song. Oh, yeah. Oh, the tubular bells. It's called tubular bells. Yeah. Tubular. You're getting tubular bells and the Halloween theme song confused. I was just. I was. I I don't I don't so, remember yeah. the exodus. I don't know. Just the thought of a little girl like being possessed by Satan. I don't know. Or it's, just, it's just like <laughs> Well, you know what I you know what I think it was? Because that film, so like I have another like favorite horror film, I mean, that is like not necessarily like that scares me, but a favorite horror film. But I can say that The Exorcist is one of those films that like even like later into adulthood i would be by myself in bed and like if the room was dark and like i thought about that movie i would get a little scared i don't know what it is i also feel that way with like when i'm by myself like with halloween just like the 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 michael myers theme song okay the one that i was doing that i thought was the exorcist music yes (laughs) (laughs) i was getting the exorcist book is scary i read it and it's it's uh, a little more detailed. Well, of course, it's it Stephen is, King and no, wait, he, oh, wait, it's, it's Blatty. Not. I think it's um, oh, sorry. Shit, I'm like not Will, a literary. Sorry, William sorry. Peter Blatty, isn't it Blatty? Blatty, Blatty. William Blatty, Bob, Bob. I think our followers might judge us. Bill I Blatty. Thought, <laughs> I thought it was Stephen King. <laughs> They're like gonna come oh. for us. Listen, everybody. Sheep. Sheep. <laughs> Sheep. Sheep. God damn it. Snowflake. Snowflake. Snowflake buffet. Snowflakes and misery. Mark, what's your what's your movie choice? My favorite 
is Rosemary's Baby. That's a good one. It is such a good one. Everything about it is perfect. Roman Polanski, if you're out there, be good, number one. Be good. So you can come back to America. Yeah, mm-hmm. come back to America. Like, really, you we should. We want you on the show. I know. We, we want you on the show, and at this point... I mean, Roman Polanski as opposed to Donald Trump. Like, come over, girl. We're waiting. Mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> however, um, yeah, I think it was just like a really well done film. Um, there's so many things I love about it. But you want to know like my all time, all time favorite now that I'm thinking about it, too. I have two. What? So Rosemary's Baby and Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Yes. Yeah. I've actually never seen it. Oh, my God. I love you, too, by the way. And Jen. Oh, my God. You too it's so good and what i think is particularly frightening now this is as compared to rosemary's baby new nightmare i think is scary because it is like a weird crossover of like realities so it's like oh my god like you're an actor you were in this film and like ah freddy krueger and then everything like transcends into your real life and you don't Mm. know what's fake and what's yeah it's a, it's a good one. It's good. And Freddy Krueger serves looks oh, she in does. New Nightmare. She does. She's got boots. She's got like a trench coat and yeah. a new glove. A new glove. She got her nails did. Yeah, she went to the Freddy boutique. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess Mark, that leaves you. Well, I am obsessed with the Freddy Krueger franchise. We as know. We all know. Part I, four is my favorite. Part four, High Tuesday night. High Tuesday. I know every line in Nightmare on Elm Street 4, and I have a yeah. Freddy glove tattooed on my leg. He does. And, I, and I, I tell people that Freddy Krueger is feeling my thigh up for life. I know. <laughs> and also, Tuesday night from that film said hello to um, Carol Ann from Poltergeist, who Jen knows very well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Jen knows Carol Ann. She's I a good friend. I can't wait till Carol Ann comes on the show, though. Yeah, we, um, in the future all of our listeners we have the star and inspiration of the poltergeist trilogy that's right. coming to bizarre buffet we do we have her um it's at caroline from on instagram if you're not following you should she has a lot of um quality fans so you yeah. guys should be a part of it but we're going to not give it all away for you yeah but i'll um, let you have a little teaser but aside from the Freddy Krueger franchise, I think one of the best horror movies ever made is the movie Candyman. Oh. Yes. And I, well, that movie used to scare the shit out of me growing up. And I was raised on horror movies. Well, I still, like, will never say the name three me times neither. in a mirror. Like, me neither. And I'm risky. I mean, he's an attractive gentleman. Why Mark's not say it three it. times? Mark's tried it. I've, I like... Know. I think it's five times, Mark. I thought it was three. No, it's five. (sighs) Yeah, Candyman. (sighs) Candyman's a good one. What I always liked about it was just, um, you know, it's one of those movies where it doesn't take place in, like, a rich white woman's mansion. Yeah. I like the fact that it took place in, you know, the projects. It took place in an inner city. And for me, I could relate to it because I grew up in a town similar Right. You know, I grew up in Irvington, New Jersey. I think I say that in like now, every other episode. But Now, question for you. Yes. Now, this is actually based off of a real story, right? Yes. Yeah. In an abstract way, it is. And that is what today's topic of Bizarre Buffet is all about. Mm. Um, so a lot of the things that happened in the movie Candyman 
are inspired by the real life murder of Ruthie Mae McCoy. How wild. Mm-hmm. And this story, it's very sad. It's frustrating. Yeah. And it's a little bizarre and definitely dark. And I think that it raises a lot of points in regards to architecture and in, in terms of government, in terms of even like the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think this story it just hits a lot of bullet points that I think are really relevant for today. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I'm like, I'm really excited for this yeah. remake with Jordan Peele. Yes. I listen, I can get behind anything he's done. Like, oh, I yeah. can get behind I anything know. that he's I have, done. I have loved all of the movies I've Same. seen so far. So I'm super excited. Do we want to get into it? Let's or we- get into it. And then Jordan Peele, if you're out there listening, we'd love to have you on the show. We would love hey, to have you on the show. Hey, girl. Hi, Jordy. So, um, that's a nickname for you. It's a pet name. <laughs> so before we like get into like the murder of Ruthie Mae McCoy, I'm gonna give you <clears throat> guys just like a little biography about her because you know. A lot of times when there was like murder stories, you you lose like the human like the human quality. Yeah. You also don't person. hear much. I feel like you hear more about the, the murderer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That or is like, very true. Than you do about the actual victim. Yeah. And it's like, listen, we love a good sensationalized piece, but also it's important to hear the story, yeah. especially one like this. So I'm very interested. Yeah. So Ruthie Mae McCoy, um, she was born in Hughes, Arkansas. And she was one of eight children. And when she was a child, her family moved to the south side of Chicago, Illinois, because at the time there was, you know, supposed to be better work opportunities. Mm -hmm. However, the opportunities um, that they received weren't that great. And her father ended up working in like coal wagons. And I, I I don't know what really that entails what working at coal wagons means pulling coal pulling coal and coal mining like anyone wants to deal with coal no but um you know they were barely making ends meet and unfortunately for um ruthie she started to show signs of mental illness Mm. in her early 20s um because she would sometimes you know be talking to herself or she would randomly have these like outbursts of anger for like no reason god and at 27 years old, she gave birth to her daughter, Vernita. Um, however, the biological father chose not to stick around. And the daughter lived with the relatives, you know, off and on um, due to Ru- Ruthie's mental illness. So mm-hmm. I don't think Ruthie could always take care of her daughter, Vernita. Um, uh, that's such a shame. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of times people were even like intimidated or afraid of Ruthie because she was a tall girl. She was 5'11". My girl. She was 251 pounds. Okay. And she was diagnosed as a residual type schizophrenic. Oh. So she can knock the shit out of you. Absolutely. Okay. And I mean that in a nice way. In an empowering yeah. way. No, absolutely. I got it. So um, because of her schizophrenia, you know, she couldn't really like develop in the workplace and unfortunately she had you know these like entry-level jobs and Mm. doing like housekeeping she was a laundromat attendant um you know and it's just it sucks because her mental health really prohibited her from professional growth Mm. but you know what i i want to give her some credit though because a lot of times you know it's very hard to do any kind of work or job so that's 
pretty cool, yeah. but I can see how, you know, she was held back. Yeah. And we'll come to learn that she had aspirations and hopes and dreams that she wanted to accomplish that she was, Ugh. that later on in life, she was, you know, well on her way of getting there. Oh God. Way to make me sad. I know. Of time. No. I know. Oh, Ruthie. I know how to bring down the room. Oh, that's okay. I'll say something terrible soon. enough. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, eventually, um, she moved to the housing projects because she really didn't have much of a choice. Mm, and yeah. it was all that like the Chicago housing association could provide for her. Um, you know, she moved to the ABLA housing projects. Is that pronounced ABLA? ABLA. And it's, you know, they're named after certain people. So I don't know like the full history of the ABLA housing projects. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't want to like go into like the history. Right. Of, like, no, that's fine. It's like, you know, not as sensational as talking about murder, right? Yeah, and of, course, of course not. But, um, you know, that place was known for not being like the best place. Yeah. You know, there was a high, incredibly high crime rate going on. And I'm sure a lot of great things did happen there too. And just unfortunately the media and podcasters like bizarre buffet will cover the grimy stuff (laughs) of of course i mean listen if we told you you know stories about how everyone planted flowers and you know um put fresh coats of paint on their neighbor's walls i mean would would you bored really quick you would be so Mm, bored i I think you probably would have Jumped off the Bizarre Buffet what? roller coaster. Absolutely. Like. <laughs> yeah. You would have vomited, not from the roller coaster. Yeah, from the boredom. <laughs> so when she decided, you know, I have no choice, I have to move into these, you know, this project housing, she was about 53 years old at the time, still mentally ill. Mm. And at that point, she was just trying to survive living in the projects. And mm. on top of surviving life in the projects, She's trying to survive in a world full of racism, sexism, classism, Mm. and a lot of negative stigmas about mental illness, which I know we've talked about so many times, like with Christine Chubbuck in the news. Um, So moving forward, a lot of times when she was having these mental episodes, she was often uh, disheveled looking and would be cursing at strangers. It sounds like me, and I yeah. don't have any, like, severe mental illnesses. I have few, but not severe. Well, however, um, <laughs> just... the, the sad thing is, is that months before her death, she was really working on creating a better life for herself. So she started dressing better. She showed more pleasant behaviors, ones that were a little more like socially acceptable, mm-hmm. um, you know, and also she was often seen leaving the projects early in the morning to go to school because she was trying to get a GED because she had oh. dreams of eventually becoming a nurse. Oh, Ruthie. And once, you know, she started to get this, um, you know, this good routine going for herself and she was making steps forward in the right direction. She started to act more like a motherly figure for mm. a lot of the residents that were living in the projects with her. And a lot of times she would open random apartment doors. And if the door was unlocked, she would give them a lecture oh. about why they need to lock their apartment oh, doors I love her. because of where they were living. Oh, I love so, that so much. So by the time Ruthie was murdered, 
Um, and this is a little weird, but in the wing of her hallway that she lived in, she was one of two tenants. Now, how many um, how many apartments were in that wing? I would say probably like 30. So that is so peculiar, right? Because you would think like, I mean, a government housing building, you know, despite the state of it or what's going on, like that a floor would not have only two occupants on it. Like, I don't know. You don't even see that in like um, any apartment building. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So two people in a wing of 30? Well, I think like the whole hallway might have had like 30 units. And then it seems that it was shaped like an L, right? So the wing that she lived in was like the shorter portion of the L shape. Mm, Okay. Okay. I'm like making this like L thing with my so finger. So the bottom part of the L. Yeah, the bottom part oh, of the L. And there was only two people living in that section and all the other apartments were vacant, which is a big problem in these buildings with these vacancies, which um, ultimately contributed to more crime. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that as we progress. Oh, Ruthie. But um, the oh, sad my. thing is, is that so two months before her murder, she was getting um, psychiatric help and um, she was approved to receive social security income and federal aid for the disabled, raising her monthly income from $154 to $340. Wow. And that's a big, that's like, a big jump. Yeah, it's a big deal, especially from that extreme. Yeah, especially in that time, too. Because yeah. I believe this was the 80s. Mm hmm. Um, shit. Yeah, 1987. So this was 1987, um, the year I was born and the year that the Hotel of Doom was put up. And, so. the, and the year that Mark Triella moved into Irvington. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is I'm just, hey. um, okay, so basically, um, so yeah, so she also received a check for $1,979. Get that coin. Which was retroactive to when she applied. Oh. So ultimately, this money coming in and this check was her like best shot on finally getting to leave the projects, which she did not want to live there in the first place. Yeah. So unfortunately... Since her housing development, you know, yeah, there's a lot of residents that live there, but it's still a small community. Yeah. Um, you know, and everybody probably has seen or knows most of everyone else. Yeah. And as you come to learn later on, like people that live there in these projects, they don't leave the project. So this okay. becomes a bubble. It becomes a world. So they know everything. So, and I'm sure they know like, oh, like, look, I'm wearing this new winter coat with my um, check, or like, hey, look, I'm coming in and out of the projects. Yeah, it sounds exactly. like. Exactly. Is that part of a creative? Uh, yeah. So um, around this time, you know, she was seen with a new winter coat. It was a modest winter coat. It's not like she's wearing like, you know. Some couture yeah. runway right. floor length mink coat yeah. 10 G's. But like to everyone that saw her day in and day out, they recognize, okay, she's wearing a new winter coat. Outerwear is, tends to be more expensive. So oh, she already started to develop a target on her back. And then she got a few like inexpensive household items, probably things like a new plate or 
a bath mat, you know, paper towel holder, like random objects. So, you know, people see her going in and out with like bags or things. So they think like, okay, she might have a stash of money somewhere. So are you saying that this is this money like kind of is what caused her to be murdered? Potentially, that would be the best like theory or the best <sighs> reasoning behind it. Such a fucking um, bummer. I know. So you know, unfortunately, yeah, the detectives theorized that you know um, it could have been detected by you know some of the riffraff or like you know the the gangs or you know people that lived in those buildings. So the the tragedy is is that the money that she was going to use to get out of the projects mm. is what potentially got her killed and Mm. with her being mentally ill living in this area you know she had a huge target on her back because a lot of people were like oh she's mentally ill we can prey on her she's weak yeah they already had reasons to believe like as to why they could get like a one up on her mm-hmm. from the beginning. So, and then the sad thing is that because she was mentally ill, she would not hold as much credibility in pressing charges or right. yeah. testifying in court if it even got to that level. Oh God! So aside from her killers, um, there were you know other people after her money. Yeah, which includes the church. Of course, surprise. <sighs> So a, not the church. Not the church. Never. Jesus, oh take, take the wheel and my money. So a lot of these Baptist preachers um, were sending her personal notes mm. saying, like, if you reach into your pocketbook and give the church an offering, you know, one mm. minister mm. from Ohio even from gave Ohio. her from Ohio gave her special water from the River Jordan. Be like, I don't live in Ohio. Keep your River and Jordan of course, water. And of course, like again, like preying on like mentally ill. Yeah, mm-hmm. preying on the weak for exactly. capital gain. God. Exactly. But this is why her daughter is awesome because her 25-year-old daughter at the time, Verena McCoy, um, saw right through that bullshit. Yes, and Vernita. She, Vernita, said, Vernita said to Ruthie, her mom, like, stop giving them money. Mm-hmm. Like, this is an MLM. Oh, <laughs> MLM, a future oh, episode. Worry, future episode coming up. Future so, episodes. No. So I'm curious, like, what exactly happened to her that makes this so unusual? Right. And I'm glad you're asking that because this murder oh, situation. Gosh. Oh, it's, it's so it's, eerie. It's so eerie. And I'm so fascinated by how it was done because it's it's about design flaws. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's get into the murder. So um, the murder of Ruthie May took place on April 9th, 1987. And right before she was killed, um, she had called 911 at around 8.45 p.m. in a panic, stating that she was a resident at 1440 West 13th Street and that some people next door are, quote-unquote, totally tearing this down. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. I mean, how cool is that, right? It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. 
Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On with the show. Okay. So I know it's... What does that imply? It sounds a little like abstract, right? You're like, well, what the hell does that mean? And the dispatcher just assumes, okay, this isn't a murder. This is just like another burglary happening in these projects, right? Because um, so, that was a common like call that they would get, yeah, right? Like every like every other day. So um, Ruthie then continued to say, "They throw down the cabinet. I'm in the projects. I'm on the other side. You can reach my bathroom. They want to come through the bathroom. The elevator is working now. So." It sounds like weird when you re- where you recite what she said, right? But it all uh, I'm makes sure it was in like down the line. I'm and I'm sure also though that it's kind of like translated from panic driven speech, right? You know, like you're trying to get out, like uh, this is happening, this is happening. Please fucking send somebody. Yeah, and also like she was still mentally ill too, so there's that. So there's panic, there's the mental illness, uh, hysteria, hysteria from like your. Because of the illness and then because of what's happening, it's like a lot to to put on. And everyone responds to like traumatic mm. situations differently. So yeah. there's like no standard of what you should or shouldn't do. Of course not. So um, at 9.02 p.m., 911 receives another phone call from a concerned neighbor who heard the situation go down. And the neighbor claimed that she was walking through the hallway and she heard gunshots coming from Ruthie's apartment. Now, two minutes later, another 911 uh, phone call had happened that they heard gunshots again from her apartment. Mm, so, so they had three 911 calls. Yeah, they had multiple calls. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, in my mind, like, I get it. I, I understand that the sense of urgency for the police in um, areas such as these are it's um, low priority a lot of times because they get so many of them and a lot right. of times you know i mean yeah. not for nothing but the force is kind of uh scared to go out there because like oh we might be in real danger if we approach this unpopular opinion sorry um but it's most definitely true um so but i mean at this time I, I can I can't imagine how anyone would be like three, four fucking calls in a row from the same people mm. talking about the same situation. Somebody should probably go there, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. You know, well, that would be a cute idea. Well, eventually, so by 930, three police cards showed up. Okay, finally. So so the police arrived around 930 and they get to Ruthie um Ruthie's door. They knock on the door and no answer. Mm. So they called out several times. You know, she still didn't get to the door. They even had gotten the janitor of the building to use his keys to try to enter her unit. However, the key could not fit through the door. Mm. So at this point, I think like any normal person be like, well, why the hell didn't they just knock the yeah. damn door down? Right. But also, like, why, didn't, I'm thinking. why didn't his key work? But continue. I don't know, man. I know. Janky ass key. But um, <laughs> so basically, yeah, like, why the hell didn't the police knock down the door? Uh, however, in that area, the police were often discouraged to do that, especially in those buildings, because 
there could be the possibility of a tenant suing the police if they had broken in. Okay. Also, if the, and this is also like another, you know, flaw with how these buildings are managed, but if the doors are busted down because of the police, the police have to find someone to secure the doors and make sure that like no one gets back in. Okay, so once they rip the shit off, they're responsible to make sure that it's put back on. They can't just like leave it like, okay, now you don't have a door. Correct. So with them feeling like this was not much of an incident because they didn't know that someone was killed in that apartment, they just thought it was a burglary. Mm. They shrugged it off and left the scene. Now, the next day, they get another 911 call. And this is from a concerned neighbor who said that she was used to seeing Ruthie every morning in the hallway and that she wasn't in the hallway that morning and she wanted them to do a wellness check. So by 1 o'clock that afternoon, the police went back to the apartment and they used a carpenter and drilled through the lock of the door and finally got in. And when they entered Ruthie's apartment in her bedroom, they found her lying in a pool of blood with magazines, papers, and coins scattered all over the place, and she was shot four times. Okay, Mm. let me just comment on one thing before we continue Mm -hmm. on here. What's fucking annoying is that, okay, so the cops show up, knocking on the door, no answer. Okay, okay, we're not going to break it down. Okay, okay, fine. My issue is that, so since no one answered the door, right, do we now disregard the three, four calls that occurred beforehand. Like, I don't get what the logic is there. Hmm, I know. Like, and, you know, listen, no scenario is perfect in a lot of situations, but I just don't understand, like, okay, you go to the door, no one's answering. But those calls still exist. Mm -hmm. They sure do. You know, and they still happen. So, wouldn't you be a little more concerned that no one was coming to the door after getting three, four calls about the apartment in question that you're at the door of that no one is answering? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm infuriated right now. (laughs) Well, unfortunately that's what it, that's what it's like. Like, listen, when I grew up in Irvington, like we were, my house was broken into several times. We were robbed. I mean, we've seen all sorts of crazy shit. You would call the police. It would take hours for them to get there. And when they would finally get there, they didn't give a rat's ass because there's just so much shit going on in these neighborhoods um, that, like, they're just, like, I feel like a lot of the cops are useless in these places. So this is the thing because I'm, I, I know that, like, I know a little bit about this story, but, like, why wasn't it really covered? You would think this would be, like... A nationwide yeah. like situation. situation. Um, and, you know, that's like part of the problem, right, is that the media doesn't cover a lot of this, a lot of crimes that happen to black people, you know, mm-hmm. or a lot of crimes that happen in low-income neighborhoods. Yeah. Because, unfortunately, in a lot of these cities of lower-income housing, you know, there's a high crime rate, which, I mean, makes sense, right? I mean, like the system kind of screws you over and Mm -hmm. sets you up for for failure and there's systematic racism. Yeah. So, you know... It's like, what else do you expect to happen? What else are you supposed to do to, like, survive? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, unfortunately, didn't receive much attention. 
um, most likely because she was like a black woman living in the projects and she, you know, had mental issues. And in in that housing uh, project alone, right, murder was so common that it happened on a weekly basis. So the media at this point is like, oh, another murder here. Like what? Who cares? You know, and that's fucked up. Yeah. It's almost as if they just didn't take it seriously because it was like, oh, like, you you know, yeah, this happened again. Okay, like that's how common it was. I mean, it was so common that two days after Ruthie was found dead, um, a man was beaten to death by a few teenagers and mm. they killed him with like sticks and their bare hands. Oh, and God. then three days after that guy was killed, another resident, a 20 year old female um, was also killed and someone mm. was stabbed in the chest with a knife. Oh. And this was all within the span of like a week. And often in these towers, Babies were thrown out of windows. Uh-huh. Stop. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of crazy shit would happen here. Teenagers were shoved down elevator chutes. Stop. Yeah. God. And, um, you know, a lot of times, like, residents would literally break walls down oh. to rape, you know, to rape someone or to rob them. So oh, this God. place was just, like, a complete fucking shit show. So, now... These people who were coming in through the walls. Correct. Were they residents of? Of the project of ABLA? Yes, they were. Um, But to go with your point real quick about press, right? Covering this and not covering this. So with Ruthie May, she got a little bit of traction with press. And um, the Chicago Tribune reported a story about it and noted that... McCoy's killers entered through her medicine cabinet and they had removed the cabinet from the adjacent apartment. And that is how they broke through Ruthie May's medicine chest, being able to climb through the wall of her bathroom. Oh my God. So it's just like candy. It's just like candy. Yeah, looking and right the, in that mirror, say it three times. Oh my this, god! Can we all do it together? No, no, no. Mark refuses, but I'll do it on my own. Mark, Hold on, I'll ready? Kill you. Mark, I'll slap you so <laughs> fucking hard your ancestors will feel it. Hold on, I'm gonna be just like Virginia Madsen. <clears throat> ready? Mark, Candyman. Oh my god, we're breaking up. Did oh? <laughs> well, you're gonna be stuck with Candyman after we break up because I'm saying it here. So gone. So. There was... <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Just I have like three more to go. No. <laughs> Candyman. <laughs> so the story that the Chicago reader put out about Ruthie May's murder did shed some light um, into this world because a lot of people living outside of the ABLA housing and Cabrini Green, you know, they didn't really know the extent of what the hell was happening in these buildings and apparently this whole idea of people breaking in through the bathroom medicine cabinets was like considered old news in the projects but like oh. now, going i have on. a question like mm-hmm. how does one break through a cabinet like what's the layout to be able to get in 
from the outside in through a medicine cabinet. I know. It's like weird, right? It's very abstract. Um, but We're still taking applications. For <laughs> our- Candyman. <laughs> <laughs> so in order to break in to one's apartment via the bathroom mirror, right? Um, the way that it's designed, it's like you can kind of navigate your way within the walls from one apartment to another through a pipe chase. And in between the walls, there's about two to three feet of space for the pipes. And if you were to literally take out your medicine cabinet, there would be a hole in the wall big enough for you to get into. And you could literally knock out someone else's medicine chest that was adjacent to yours. That is a true design flaw. Yeah. So imagine like, you know, when you go to like a hotel or a motel and you have like that random door in your room, if Mm. you open it, it like goes to the other. yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of like that kind of situation only via medicine cabinets. And in between the medicine cabinets, there's pipes that run through the building. A lot of pipe. A lot of piping. Okay. So, Basically, this was designed because if they needed to do maintenance on the pipes, it was easily accessible for the maintenance staff Mm. to do that, right? So, you know, yeah, it makes sense because I guess when they designed these buildings, they didn't think that residents were going to be climbing through the mirrors and going up and down these pipelines. And what ended up happening was is that because everyone had this awareness of this, a lot of residents would use it to break into other people's apartments or they would often use it as escapes for the police had to come in. So if you were, if you were like a gang doing your, your stuff or whatever in one of these vacant apartments and the police came, they would exit through the bathroom mirror because a lot of times these cops couldn't fit because of their like, you know, they were probably, like, overweight. And probably know. the belts and all that. The belts and know. all that shit. Yeah. So it was, like, a... It was used almost as, like, a getaway. And then on the other end, it was also used as, like, an underground railroad for residents that did not feel safe walking through the hallways. Which, I mean, is, is very, really like... Sad. I know, it's very sad, and it's a very innocent use of, like that element like okay we're going to take this because it's a safe option as opposed to like it's just here because of function right so like it was it was kind of used for fucked up reasons and then it was used for residents that were like scared to go in their hallways because a lot of times these you know there were so many like drug addicts that were like in the hallways and gangs that would congregate so yeah literally walking in and out of the building you could be shot, you could be killed, robbed, you name it. Like, just a lot of terrible things would happen. So um, it was so common that a lot of times the residents would barricade their bathroom doors with furniture. So that way people in the middle of the night couldn't break in through the bathroom mirror. And what's really shitty is that, like, they said it was so easy. Like, if you just kicked it a few times, you would get through. Well, and you know what's so frightening, I think, about all of this is, and part of why, you know, which I'm sure you're getting to, mm-hmm. um, that the horror movie was based around and off of 
is that like these common everyday things that like you're just like I'm going to the bathroom, I'm doing this, yeah. I'm doing that, I'm taking the elevator, I'm walking in the hall because I have to become places of fear and like endangerment. So your everyday things that you take for granted, like walking out of your apartment, locking your door and like I don't know, going down your driveway, going down your hallway, um, are no longer normal events. That's a very mm -hmm. scary thing. Yeah. Well, after this incident, the ABLA claimed that they were going to fix this issue with the bathroom mirrors and that they were going to provide more secure medicine chests to prevent this from happening. Oh, how but kind. How kind. Yeah, right. But a few months after, um, a news journalist had followed up with the Chicago Housing Association. And guess what? They didn't do they it. They didn't do shit. So, um... What I always wonder is, you know, like, where is that cabinet? Yeah. You know, you know how we talked about, like, you know, there's people that collect true crime memorabilia. We have a piece of the Sharon Tate fireplace. We do. But, like, I would, <laughs> you know, I would be interested to see that exact bathroom mirror that yeah. they used to kick down, which is... Yeah. No, well, I mean, it's, weird. it's just how, like, we were talking about how we would love or not love in the sense of, like, ooh, yay. But, like, the Christine Chubbuck um, footage. footage, you know? I think it would be fascinating to see that, and I'm sure that if it were ever around or in existence, there would probably be, like, a underground you know, collectors bid off for that. Okay, so what I find really weird, too, about all of this and this parallel with Candyman is when they went to the crime scene, they saw that she had a lot of magazine articles and different pictures mm -hmm. that were taped around where the vanity used to be. And it was mostly articles about miracles and, you know, I guess like these like Jesus magazines, right? And there was one article that she had posted next to where the mirror was. And it said, God will be your dentist. And there was a picture of a young girl with her mouth wide open and her finger on her teeth that were filled with silver. Now, if you've seen the movie Candyman... Um, there's a scene where the um, woman, Helen, that's investigating Candyman. Helen Lyle. She climbs through the hull, right, where the killers knocked out the mirror to kill Ruthie. Mm. And on the other side of the hull is a spray painting of Candyman's face wide open. And she's going through the mouth hull. And his mm. teeth are very, like, distinguished in this yeah. graffiti mural. And I feel that that image was absolutely inspired by the article yeah. that she had. Now, I did message someone that was involved in the Candyman screenplay, right, that wrote it, and they did not answer me. So <laughs> I can't wow. say if, that's, if that was their intention or not. But um, so with the movie, there were a lot of things that like I never realized. Like I'm sure you've probably seen Candyman a while ago. Yeah. Like I feel like that's one a movie that everyone has seen a while ago. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's not like a Halloween or a Freddy movie. Mm -hmm. But what I realized later was that like all of these things were like almost literally pulled from this story. 
And, oh yeah, you know, absolutely. And it was crazy. It was just Especially so like the looking into the the mirror and saying, yeah, exactly. And like talking about like, oh well, this creature, this figure comes from the mirror, and like then the thing with the mural. Don't they say in film like nothing's a coincidence? Exactly. Right. So. Well, it's a shame because I think, you know, the the problem with project housing is that it has good intentions in the first place. You know, it's supposed to give yeah. affordable housing. The for, thought is there, but a thought is only a thought a right. lot of times. And I think, it, you know, they're designed, you know, for people that don't make enough money. And, you know, now you can keep a roof over your head and follow your dreams and all that other stuff. And unfortunately, a lot of project housing fails yeah with that and it, a lot of it has to do with the design aspects of it so in 1972 um this guy named oscar newman he was like a housing expert and he did a study in regards to like crime rates in high rises and his like the gist of his study is is that the higher the building or the higher the high rise the more crimes are going to happen okay and the problem with a lot of these public housings is that there are no main roads that drive through it and it is so isolated. It's like, yeah, it's, it's basically creating this universe for these people where it's like, well, this is your universe. You stay here. Correct. And also in his book, Defensible Space, um, Crime Prevention Through Urban Design, you know, these high rises really promote anonymous living and it it breaks down a sense of community where like you know people could look out for each other but here it's like the exact opposite yeah and everyone lives in isolation and when you're navigating these large hallways or these large like lots of land where no public streets go through it creates areas for crime to happen. Oh, God. Well, you know what's so fucked up is that it feels like it's almost like some sort of like mental experiment, right? Because you're in this large building and you're with people, you know? And I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people that you never knew or, right. you know, would have no reason to know before living there, you know, in that building with them. Um, but it definitely creates this sense of like after a while you get used to those people and then like it, it seems as though like reality is then altered. So you're fighting within like this large structure with all these people and and it just seems like a recipe for chaos, which is what it sounds like. Oh, this, absolutely. This guy's theory is getting at. Right. Yeah. And another thing, too, is like the lack of maintenance. So like a big problem in these high rises and these projects are the elevators because the elevators would often break down. So when Ruthie May made her 911 call, I mentioned early, she mentioned that the um, elevator was working and that's because a lot of times police are hesitant to come to these buildings because they know that the elevators don't work and they don't want to walk up 11 flights of stairs. Yeah. Right. So that even the maintenance issues creates a problem for being able to monitor crime. Now, it's just is a perfect it, storm. Is it true with the elevators that the gangs would hide? Yes. Oh, God. And so then when people would come onto the elevator, they would break in through the ceiling and murder you? 
Yes. <sighs> wow. So imagine like being in an elevator and then you see people coming out of the ceiling. Like that's that's but, kind of abstract but, and weird. No, but and like but what does it do to somebody, right, who already has existing, you know, mental health issues where it's like, you know, this poor Ruthie May You know, she was on her way. She was doing her thing, getting her life together, seeing doctors, right? Mm -hmm. So what is that? Going to school. Going to school. She's now doing what everybody says are the right things to do. And I use quotations with that. But what does it do when your environment is your delusion state that is part of what you're getting help for? If you are a person who has a history and like... You know, you have to worry about the elevator. You have to worry about the hall. You have to worry about your bathroom fucking mirror. You know, what does that do to a person's life? Well, I think in this case, it just shows how the system continues to fail, right? So these people that live in these project housing, you know, it's a high rise because it costs more money to build horizontally than it does vertically, right? So they're just cramming people into these, like, you know, these housing projects and they're not being well maintained and they're built in areas that are far away from economic opportunities where they can't find employment. So for them to work, they have to really go out of their way Mm -hmm. geographically to find money. So I feel that these projects are kind of designed to keep low income people or people of color in one spot. And if I can just like, it's messed up. It is. And if I can just draw like an interesting parallel here, right? So in the movie Candyman, um, Helen Lyle, who is, you know, the white professor who is, you know, writing her thesis with her friend who is a woman of color, who is also a professor, you know, Mm -hmm. the storyline of the film. And she makes a comment in the film that, oh, like, look at the blueprints, right? And her friend's like, oh, that's your apartment. Like, this is where you live. And she was like, this was um, designed to be project housing. However, she lived, you know, essentially divided by a street or a park or, you know, some sort of invisible divider, right? That Mm -hmm. differentiated the, I mean, rich part of Chicago. So it's interesting that the opportunity was just divided by not a great divider, And also the people who lived in that building and not for nothing were probably mainly white upper class people who lived in this building that was designed in a similar way, but with opportunity and, you know, in, in Candyman, Helen, um, she lives in like a high end high rise, but it used to be projects and it was gentrified. So the movie kind of touches on that topic of gentrification and how it, doesn't work you know yeah and uh unfortunately that is this very sad story of uh, ruthie may mccoy but i'm i've always found it to be so just eerie and weird yeah. it is so i mean for anybody who has listened to this episode tonight or today or whenever you're listening if you don't know all of this story of candy man you're gonna look at it with a fresh perspective definitely. i can yeah i can tell you that i definitely i mean mark and i rewatched it recently um, you know, it's, it's really a great film. It'll give you a fresh set of eyes mm-hmm. watching the movie again when you 
uh, are paying attention to it with this context. Yeah. yeah. And Candyman is fucking scary. He is I'm scary. His, every time I go pee and like the lights off, I'm afraid his hook's going to come out of the mirror and like, <laughs> get me like, ah. I'm definitely excited for this remake. Me too. I know. I am so excited. Jordan, if you're out there. Jordan, if you're listening. We love you. We love yeah. you. And like, I don't know. Come on. Yeah, hit us up. Come hit on, us up. girl. Hit us up at the buffet. We can't, we can't, <laughs> at the buffet. We can't afford him. Buffet. No, I, God, please. But We if, couldn't get to his assistant. <coughs> Excuse me. So, um, guys, thanks for listening. If you want to follow no. us on Instagram, you can Bless find us. Hearts. Bizarre oh. Buffet on Instagram. And then what on else? Facebook. On Facebook. Bizarre Buffet. That's right. And then please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave uh, a review because it really helps it keep really us in does. business yeah. and create content. And we love you. Thank you for listening. Yeah. I know. Thank you for listening. Well, thank you for listening to Bizarre Buffet. I'm Gunk. I am uh, Margot Hemingway. And I'm Susan Powder. Thank uh, you for listening. Thank you for Have listening. Goodbye. <laughs>